Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. I believe that God has a word for you this morning, and if it's a word in season, it will be helpful. If it's a word for a future season, it's going to be helpful. I want to talk to you this morning about that two steps backwards known as betrayal. Not that you've ever been betrayed, but there could be a moment in your life where that happens. Psalm chapter 41, verse 9, David the psalmist wrote, Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Uh, Before we pray, you might not recognize the name Robert Ford, but you likely recognize the name Jesse James. Robert Ford and his brother were part of the Jesse James crew, and the governor put out a reward for the death of Jesse James. Robert Ford and his brother journeyed to Jesse's home for one of his regular get-togethers for his entire gang, and while Jesse was turned to adjust a picture over the mantle, Robert pulled out his gun and shot Jesse from behind. And in the process, he gained notoriety as the man who killed Jesse James. He toured around the country back then. It was popular back in the Wild West to reenact some of these moments. And he grew in his fame by reenacting his assassination or his betrayal of Jesse James. And in the process, he became wealthy. And with the money, he bought a saloon. And in the process, got into an argument with a customer. And one day, while his back was turned and adjusting something ahead of him in like fashion, Mr. Robert Ford was assassinated by Edward Capehart O'Kelly. And so betrayal is very much a part of our society, a part of our world, our lives. We've experienced it. And so there are some of you today who this will just be information for the day that that ever happens to you. But for those of you who have experienced it, and are still carrying a piece of it. You know, betrayal, while you're still standing, betrayal is much like this brick that may have been hurled into your world. And as you picked it up off the ground, you were shocked. You looked at it. You were overwhelmed by not only how it arrived in your world, but the hands that pushed it into your world. And you've been walking around fixated and considering, how did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? Why would they do that? Your hand is tied up and your gaze is fixed on something that is in the past. But I believe that for you today, there will be a setting down, a shedding of that attack and the attacker, and you're going to step forward into the future with your hand open and ready to do the thing that God really has for you, okay? So let me pray over you. Father, I thank you so much for your people. Lord, we are people in this world, and we are prone to the experiences of this life. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to give me clarity of speech and the ability for each person in this room to hear. Lord, as we celebrate the good things that you have done, it helps us in a moment of two steps backwards. I pray a blessing over your people here in the room, a blessing over your people at home listening in. And, Father, I I pray that there's a release, a freedom that comes today in Jesus' name. And everyone said Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Um, as, you're, as you're grabbing your seat there and as maybe you're taking notes or following along, in life there's micro-betrayals and then there's macro-betrayals. And the truth is, not only will you be on the receiving end, there'll be some times when you're on the giving end. I remember the first time I betrayed, that I can remember betraying someone, it was an honest, I was really actually trying to help. Somebody shared with me that he and his wife were pregnant. 
And while well, she was pregnant, he was sharing that she, they weren't both pregnant. You know what I'm saying. And in the process, he asked me not to tell anyone, especially not the pastor whose staff we were all on. Now, later on, I was talking with my pastor, and he was going through a difficult time, and he was worried about this couple. And in his heart, he felt like they didn't like him and that maybe they were leaving. And I just wanted to bring him some relief. And I said, they're not going anywhere. In fact, please don't say anything. But they shared with me that they're pregnant, so they're going to be here at least for another year. And so he was excited, but I had no idea the repercussions when they turned around and the pastor went to the couple and said, hey, Steve already told me that you guys are pregnant. It's great news to hear. And they were appalled that they had shared an intimate detail with me that I had betrayed them with. And in my mind, I was just trying to help make the situation better for all. But for that couple, they felt very, very betrayed. And it's likely that you've been involved with a maybe a micro-betrayal like that. But sometimes macro-betrayals like the betrayal of Jesse James or some of the other ones we see in Scripture, they're much larger and there's much more at stake. And they come by means of maybe someone with a personal agenda, and you're just simply a chess piece in their game. They betray you because it moves them to the next stage of where they want to be. It's nothing personal. You're just a pawn in the game. Or possibly it's someone very close to you with a personal grudge that you likely have no idea even exists. You remember the story of uh, Joseph and his brothers? They couldn't stand their brother Joseph simply because of the affection of their father and the gifts that he put on that favored son. Maybe it comes uh, by someone who actually, shockingly, fakes a friendship with you so that they can gain an advantage in your life. Read the story of Samson and Deliah, a, a supposed love affair that really was love on Samson's part, but Delilah was just working on him to create an advantage so that the Philistines could take over and destroy his life. And when she had the moment, she did. She pulled the trigger and gave victory to all of Samson's enemies. Now, in Scripture, I know that you already know the most famous of all betrayals. It's the betrayal of Judas. And we see through Scripture it's prophesied, and there comes that moment in Luke chapter 22, verse 47 through 48, that he draws near to Jesus, and he goes to kiss him. And Jesus said, says to him, Judas, would you betray me with a kiss? And there's that remarkable closeness of relationship. These, three guys, these, these 12 men, 13 men, have been traveling for three and a half years, high times, low times, miraculous moments, in crowds of people, and Judas gets so close in his betrayal that he affectionately kisses Jesus on the face. And that is the very act of betrayal. I don't want to spend time focusing on that one because that one is so well known. But I do want to draw your attention to this scripture in Psalm chapter 41 that was actually penned by David. And this is one of the amazing things that is true of prophecy. Prophecy has a, an immediate application sometimes, and then it actually has a long-term application, and then it has a longer-term application. In fact, the scripture that says, and the virgin shall conceive, that was prophesied by the prophet whose wife he was marrying. She was a virgin, and she had a baby, and they gave him that name, and yet it was also indicative of the future of Jesus being born. So when David pens these words, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread. I mean, Judas ate 
bread with Jesus. In fact, Jesus said to some of the disciples, the one who's about to betray me, I'm giving him bread. And Judas takes it out of his hand. But David writing this is writing about someone he has spent a lot of time with, someone who has lifted his heel against him. Psalm chapter 55, verses 12 through 14. I also have that slide for you. He also pens along this exact same topic, and he says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me. They're going to throw that. There we go. Uh, For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. I mean, this is the thing about betrayal. Betrayal usually comes from someone you know and that you love. This is the very difficult part about betrayal. He says, It's not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals with so insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked amongst the throng. And so this is David that, who's writing. And there's been some suggestions of who is he writing about But a lot of theologians actually believe that who he's penning about in both of these psalms is his very closest of friend, Saul the king, his enemy's son, Jonathan. Now you read about Jonathan early in the scripture when David first steps into the service of Jonathan's father, Saul, and the two of them become knit together after David kills the giant. And the Bible says in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his very own soul. But as you watch their story unfold over time, Jonathan regularly betrays his own father and sets up an alliance with David, his father's enemy. And he goes to David, and he confides, and he shares, and he shares loyalties, and he suggests that even his father knows that he won't be king someday. And he even goes a step farther, and he says, and you and I will stand together, and you will rule and reign. And revealed out of the character of this story is the fact that David's close friend is dishonorable, that he's dishonorable to the king, he's dishonorable to his father, so it's likely true that he's being dishonorable to a degree to David, because how is it that every time David is hiding in some wilderness setting, Saul is always able to track him down and find him? Many people believe it's because of Jonathan's disloyalty, and that's difficult because Jonathan was his trusted friend, they wept together, and yet David pens these words. So regardless, I think that David especially knew this idea of betrayal. He had it happen many times in his own life, betrayed by his own son even. And with that, there's some scriptural truths that I want to give you out of, uh, well, out of scripture. And I want to say them with a smile on my face because this is not a fun topic. And yet it's, it's a very applicable topic. So let me give you point number one. If you're going to navigate out of suffering, if you're going to overcome those two steps back, our first point is that I want to challenge you to suffer and to suffer well with him. This is how you overcome betrayal. Because the moment, the moment you find this in the middle of your world, and then you discover the fingerprints belonged, they belong to a close friend, It is one of the loneliest places in the most shocking of moments. And in the process of picking up this brick, you begin to ask, why? 
Why? And, and I want to tell you the reason why it's a lonely moment is because there really is no good answer for that betrayal. Why did I not see this coming? Well, because it's betrayal. And so it's shocking that such a large thing would end up in the world, in your world, from the hand of someone you trusted, and yet you didn't see it. Why would they do this to me? Hard to figure out sometimes. No one will understand, though, like the person of Jesus. That's what I want to really challenge you to. There's that moment where you experience all of this, and there's a deep pain. There's an element of suffering. Remember that being in seventh grade, and there was a kid in my class who pretended to be my friend, but my, the love of my life, a girl I had met five minutes before, we talked on the phone for 10 minutes every, every day after school, and we were going out, and we were going to get married, maybe in the eighth grade, and, you know, buy a house together, and I didn't know her middle name, but this other kid who pretended to be my friend was building a relationship with her and began to spread misinformation about me. And I remember the moment in the hallway after class where she pointed her finger and she began yelling at me saying, I did not do those things that you said. We did not do that. And I was pushed back and so shocked. I could not even imagine what she was talking about or why would she think this until just behind her, I saw this kid who I thought was my friend snickering and walked away with her and walked right into the upcoming Friday night dance hand in hand with her. And so there's that moment of betrayal, and you're, it's so shocking. And I have found that I would love at the moment that this enters my world to, for my wife to be able to really understand what's just happened to me. And she does well. She does her best. And we look at the block, and we consider the block, and we pray about the block, and we look at it from all different angles, and how did it come out of your hand, and it, did you mean to do that? And we, we, we try to share this moment together. But if this block is geared at me, the reality is she can only do her best to, to identify, but she can't really truly share the deep pain of the moment. I might get on the phone to, to other friends, or I might come to church and ask for prayer. I might get on the internet and, you know, put one of those posts out there. Oh, I can't believe, you know, what has happened to me. And listen, that's not the place to garner sympathy, okay? Um, stay off the internet if you're, if you're suffering. That's not the place where you're going to find encouragement, okay? But in the process, this is what I've discovered, that at that moment, there's an intense ramping up of my relationship with Jesus. There's this incredible moment because seeing what Jesus experienced, what he's been through, allows me to share this in a very deep and personal way in a way like I could never share with any of you. And that becomes a great moment where I would suggest that you, you suffer well with him, that it's a you and him moment. You can still share with people close with you and ask for prayer and ask for input, but this will really build the depth of your relationship with him. Uh, some scriptures that we see out there, Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, uh, it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and what? the fellowship of his sufferings. There is a deep friendship that is created. When you experience suffering and you put your hand into the hand of Jesus, who also has some suffered in similar fashion, he knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to go through difficult moments. 
He is certainly one who knows what it's like to be betrayed. And so in that moment, to be able to share that moment with him is part of the process of knowing him on a deep and intimate level. Now, if you're going to really win this point, you're not only going to have to suffer with him, but you're going to have to suffer well. Now, it's not the heart of God for you to suffer. I'll get to that in a minute. But suffering is a reality. And if it's going to have its perfect work in your life, you're going to need to suffer well. If you're a patient flailing around on the operating table, the surgeon's going to have some problems and there's going to be some additional work going to be need to be done because you're not suffering well. I love this portion of scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. It says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in suffering as a good soldier. So there's a good way to suffer, and then there's a less than good way to suffer. Look at the person next to you and say, suffer well. <laughs> suffer with excellence. Suffer with style. And there is an incredible power in that moment if you suffer well. And you want to know how to suffer well? Just simply look at how Jesus managed his moment of betrayal. He didn't get on his circle of five friends and call them up on the phone. You can't believe what I'm going You cannot believe what Judas has done to me. In fact, he encourages Judas, what you're about to do, do quickly. And Jesus keeps his eyes focused and does not allow the story of Judas to become the narrative. Judas is not the story. Your betrayal is not the main chapter of your life. It is a little side feature that, that impacts the story, but it is not the story. Don't let it become the story. Suffering well is really about, as we'll talk in this next step, about entrusting it with God, about being with God together in the process, fellowshipping with him, working through it with some knowledge about how he's going to take care of this in the future. So let me uh, shift that into point number two is uh, one way to, to, to overcome betrayal is then after you're suffering well to hand your betrayer and your betrayal over to the Lord. To place this and all that it represents, including the person who delivered it into your world, to hand it over to heaven and allow heaven. Because see, I know this, heaven is not the author of this. You got to grab this. Well, uh, if it if God didn't will it, it wouldn't happen. That's not true. It was not the will of God for Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit. Did they? Oh, it must have been the will of God. No, 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 no. The will of God doesn't always happen. You understand what I'm saying? The will of God does not always happen. You know how I know? There will be people in hell. It's not the will of him that any should perish. Scripture says that, and yet some will. We know that. So let's pull, let's pull this creation out of the hands of God. It's not the creation of God. You know, in fact, if you look at Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, the enemy actually suggests to Adam and Eve that God is betraying them. He says to them, God is holding out on you, which is a form of betrayal. He doesn't want you to have everything. There's things that you deserve, and, and he doesn't want you to have them, and he's lying and causing the heart of man to believe that God is betraying him. That's one of the enemy's greatest tactics is to get you fixated on this and to believe that this is God's doing. 
It is one of the greatest lies, the greatest deceptions of all time. This is never, never the work of God. Now, but in the process as you hold it in your hand, you're going to question that. You're going to think it's, well, I deserve this. I did something to have this lobbed into my life. At the same time, one of the best things that you can do is take that betrayal and the person who betrayed you and hand it back to God because ultimately he might not be the author of it, but he is the finisher of what to do with this. If there's anything I've learned about being an adult and owning a refrigerator, it's that allowing decomposing food to remain in the refrigerator impacts everything in the refrigerator and possibly everything in your home. It's so easy to reach into the vegetable drawer and pull out the moldy piece of fruit and dispose of it and allow the rest of the experience to continue to be fresh. A betrayal that you carry around regularly in your life is like rotten vegetables. Number one, it stinks. Number two, everybody else can see it. Number three, you're constantly, it's such a part of you that you can't do anything without it affecting you. This is, this is your right hand. This is how you would do so many things, but now you have to do, you have to, you have to hold on to things with this betrayal actively in your hands. And by actually offering this up to heaven, giving it to God, allowing it to him to take care of it, will free up your hand to then begin to grab onto the things that God actually intends for you to be about. Can I have an amen for that? That's good stuff. Now, you're going to ask questions like, why did this happen? I'm telling you, it's never going to make any sense. It will never. I've had, had, I've had crazy things that I have done and crazy things that have been done to me. And when asked why, the response really is, I don't know. Sometimes, let me just be honest with you. Sometimes we are just used by the devil. I know not you. None of you have ever been used by the devil. But I caught a field on fire one time as a, as a young teenager. And they sent out the fire department. Why? I was lighting gas on some sand on fire. Why? I don't know. Why do boys light things on fire? Why did I take a machete and chop the headboard of my bed and then my dad's brand new bread knife and it had notches in it? I don't. My dad said, why did you do this? I don't know. And I think, honestly, there are things that we do in our lives and people do things to us. And there is just this motivation that is unexplainable because there is a foul wind that will blow to try to move people in a course that leads to death and destruction. And you have to recognize that many times, I love what Jesus said. As Jesus is being crucified, he says this, Father, forgive them. Why? They do not know what they're doing. And I think when you give this to God in heaven, you can honestly lay it down before him and be able to say, I forgive them. They, they probably did not know what they were doing. I mean, they did to a degree, but did they really know how this was going to impact your life? Did they really, could they really see the ripples that it would last for generations maybe? Unlikely. They thought it was just the heat of a moment or they were justified or they didn't like your attitude and so they did what they did. And yet... It's impacted you so deeply. One of the freeing, freeing paths forward is to be able to say they probably didn't know what they were doing. 
And arguably, I think that the centurions knew what they were doing. They were nailing Jesus' hands to, to the beam. Understand what he was saying was much deeper. They don't actually understand what they're really doing here. And so he was able to forgive them because he recognized there wasn't a connection, right? Um, here's a quote for you. Everything that happens in life has supernatural value, though, when it's surrendered to him. It's so important to recognize that. While God is not the creator of this, when I surrender this to God, this becomes a deposit in the heavens that then begins to pay some dividends in my life and through my life. Some of the worst things that people will ever do to you in your lifetime, if surrendered by God, to God, will then become a catalyst for other things to begin to happen you would have never experienced it will be so profound and so rich, you'll actually look back at the day of your betrayal and say, I can actually thank God for what he brought me through. I don't thank God for what they did, but I can thank God that he helped me because what was meant for evil, God has done what? He's used it for his good. Let me give you this quote as well. They betrayed you, but ultimately, next slide, they betrayed him, uh, they betrayed you, but their debt is to him. And he will deal with them after, got that part? After you get out of his way. As long as you hold on to this, you keep God from picking it up and dealing with it. As long as you carry this around, you're remembering what happened to you, and you're looking to possibly get back at somebody. And maybe if I can't get him, I'll get somebody close to him. I'm not going to mess with that one, though. I can, assure, I can assure you. It's been a while since I got beat up by a girl. The only girl I ever fought beat me up. Actually, two girls have beat me up in my life. No, nah, I'm just kidding. I had a girlfriend try to beat me up one time at roller skating, and she pushed me down. Anyways, you don't, things you don't need to know, okay? If they... They might have betrayed you, but ultimately, who do you belong to? God. And the truth is that while they might have betrayed you, their debt is with God, and God will get involved and do something magnificent in their life. He'll correct them. He'll change their heart. He'll do something good in their life, but he can't as long as you carry this around. In fact, a lot of times what we do, because we want to get back a pound of flesh, we start pounding somebody with what they've done to us. And in the process, we create a brand new block that now God has to correct us. And now the lines get really blurry because God can't just bless you for the bad thing you've been through because he also has to correct you for the wrong that you've done to your enemy. Does that make sense? Mmm. Mmm. So good. Okay. Um, let me take a, little, a step further. Forgive them. Uh, the cross is what you say to this. What Jesus did on the cross is payment enough for me. There's another quote for you. They'll give you the slide. Forgiveness has to be more than cerebral and more than emotional. If you struggle with forgiving people, it's likely because you said in your mind, I'm going to forgive them. But then what happens when the feelings get stirred up? I'm trying to forgive them. I'm trying to forgive them. The transaction has to take place on a much deeper level than just in your head or just in your feelings. It needs to be a spiritual, supernatural transaction. You stand before heaven, 
and you declare forgiveness over your enemy and the enemy's actions in your life. And I'm going to challenge you to do that this morning. Some of you have been struggling to forgive for years because it's been purely an emotional forgiveness or a cerebral forgiveness. But it's a transaction that needs to be done in the spiritual realm. You before God and you declaring they are forgiven. And that declaration will not only set them free, but it will set you free as well. Amen. Let me give you point number three as I finish up here. Um, when you do those two things, this is so cool. You've been leaning back. Because this is, this, is this is what this will do to you. It will keep you on your back foot constantly. Who's, who's going to come after me next? Oh, gosh, I'm, I'm constantly always worried about somebody doing me wrong. And the weight of this holds me from back. But when you set this down, you are able to lean forward and be excited about the people in front of you. And you're able to expect God's divine response. Because you belong to God and something has been done wrong to you, do you not think that your heavenly father wants to make what's wrong right and then some in your life? That's the character. That's the heart of God. Old Testament, if somebody stole your cow, they had to not only return your cow, but then 20% more beef. If somebody stole part of your crop, they didn't just return that crop. They had to return what was taken and then add something to it. The heart of God in his form of justice is that when you've been wronged, if you will let him take care of this, he will not only bring restoration, but he will add a portion to it. If you sit back and you allow God to do what he does, that's what you can expect. You know, this quote's pretty good. In your hands, betrayal is toxic. It's just going to poison your hand. It's going to poison your wrist. It's going to work its way down to its elbow. It's going to get inside your system, your heart, your intestines. It's going gonna, it's gonna to actually, truthfully, it's going to sweat out of you. Even if people can't see the brick in your hand, they can smell it in your posts. They can smell it in your interactions. They can sniff it out and watching how you treat other people. In your hands, if you hold on to this, it will be toxic, not only for you, but it will become toxic for the people in your world. You'll poison your kids with what happened to you if you don't get this thing out of your hands. But in his hands, this thing becomes the catalyst that then launches me forward into the best things that God has for me. You know, every great Bible story has maybe not the brick of betrayal, but some brick somewhere that becomes the moment of, tr of transformation where God gets involved. A bad thing happens, they surrender it to God, and man, God does something incredible. A man's really, really sick. He says, God, heal me. And God, because of the sickness, does an amazing thing, not only for him, but his entire family. A great famine is being experienced, and people go before God, and God causes water to come up out of the ground to feed a nation. It's these very bricks. In our hands, they can, can become toxic, but in his hands, they are actually a catalyst to his very best stuff. So let me read you one final verse. I want you to stand with me, and we're going to pray. And I, I just want to really appeal to maybe your heart and just, just have you maybe close your, 
Close your eyes just for a moment. I'm going to read a scripture to you and and actually in the form of a prayer and pray it over you. But I really want to, to challenge you. Betrayals are going to come in your life. They're going to be micro. They're going to be macro. They're going to come from someone you don't know. They're going to come some, from someone you do know. They're going to come from someone pretending that they love you, but they actually are using you. But regardless, the ability to experience that and allow it to draw you closer to God is of incredible value. And when you surrender that to God, it really does create a moment in which you are able to be free and lean forward, then to begin to step into the bonuses that this great wound will bring into your life as you allow him to bring the healing that needs to be there. I want to read this again with your eyes closed. just want to read to you 1 Peter 5, verse 10. It says there, And after you have suffered a little while. Now, let me stop there. Suffering never seems like a little while. Anybody? It always seems like it's way too long. But after it's all over, you forget about it, right? It's because it really is only for a little while. Scripture goes on to say, The God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself do four different things. He'll, number one, he'll restore. In other words, whatever was taken, maybe not the exact thing replaced, but he'll pour something in to even the scale. Next thing he does, he'll confirm, he'll solidify that thing that he's placed back in your life so it can't be taken. goes on to say he will then strengthen. In other words, what was weak and what was vulnerable, he will cause it to become strong. It will become a strength of your life. The scar that you've experienced will be transformed into a strength. It goes on to say, and it will establish you. Establishing you, it gives you leadership ability. It gives you a voice to other people. It positions you to make a difference. So this morning, I want to pray over you. If you got one of these bricks, it's in your hand. I want to challenge you this morning. It's time to lay it down. It's time to give it to heaven. It's time to surrender it to God. It's time for you to just place it in his hands and allow him to do what only he can do and free your hands up so that you can begin to do the things that you're called to do without that fragrance impacting them. We're going to sing a song and I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray over you again, but I just want to pray right now that just, Lord, cement this thought in your people's heart. As we get ready to sing this song, Lord, we're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to surrender We're going to surrender these things that have entered into our life. But God, I pray that you help us to lean forward and make up our mind. This is the moment to get rid of it, to hand it over to you. I pray, God, for a great moment of liberation and freedom in the next few moments. As we sing to you, that maybe those, these, these, these blocks are handed off to you, God, even before I come back up. God, that there's a confidence, an understanding that, God, you could do so much more with it than we can. Father, I pray, God, for freedom for your people. God, I pray for a blessing over their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.